Thank you very, very much. Well, good morning, everyone. Glad you're all able to slide your way into church today. I hope uh, not uh, too much sliding, though. Uh, but it uh, looks like it's going to warm up a little bit, so it might be a little safer going home. Uh, but uh, just a delight to, to see your faces here, and we're looking forward to uh, our time in the Word here this morning. And then also uh, just thinking about the year to come a little bit as well. So with that in mind, I would invite you please to turn to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers, chapter 15. Numbers 15, 37 through 41 will be our text today. A text that uh, I, hope, I hope everyone's familiar with, but it might be uh, an unfamiliar one to some. Numbers 15, beginning at verse 37. I would invite you, if you're able, to stand with me, please, for the reading of God's holy word. Yahweh said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of Yahweh, to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am Yahweh, your God. God adds his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Please do be seated. Well, if you've ever seen uh, any uh, Orthodox uh, Jewish men walking around, so I've even seen uh, some women as well have this, uh, you may have seen the fringe of a white shawl peeking out from under a shirt or uh, a coat. If you look closely at those shawls at the edge of them, some of them have a full fringe, some of them just have the corner tassels, uh, which is actually what's called for here by the Lord. Um, you'll see that if you look closely, the tassels at the corner have at least one blue thread running through them. Those tassels are called in the Hebrew, uh, it's a great word, it's just kind of fun to say, tzitzit, tzitzit. And, and the tzitzit were an effort to be, uh, today, when you see them, it's an effort to be obedient to the command that's here in this passage that we just read. Uh, Jesus, in fact, uh, would have worn these. This was a perpetual uh, ordinance that was to be done by the Jews. Uh, there was no, there's no end date on this for the Jewish people. Um, they are to do this throughout their generations, it says there. The uh, tzitzit, in fact, were, and the reason I know that Jesus wore, the, wore a shawl such as this uh, is simply because when the, remember when the woman who had the issue of blood reached out and touched, as the King James puts it, the hem of the garment, the word is not hem. It's not the touching the hem. It says, it's the Greek version of the tzitzit. He reached out, she reached out and touched that, that fringe or that tassel. Um, 
Now, there's a lot of discussion about what the symbolism uh, is intended to be here by our Lord, and especially why only one blue thread woven in, into the tassel, not a fringe. If you look at, at uh, many of these, these shawls that are produced today, um, I mean, if a little blue is good, let's have a lot. So you'll see a lot of them, have, they're just woven all the way through. Uh, but that's an addition to what God commanded. God said, just put a thread through it. The consensus uh, of those that talk about this sort of thing uh, is that the blue represents heaven, a, a kind of a, a touch of the priesthood, connection between God and man that was to adorn every Israelite. Now, why blue? Well, I mean, you could say, well, it's the sky, but there's also an element of the fact that blue at that time was really costly to produce. That was another reason why they would have only had, you know, one thread, <laughs> not a whole bunch. Uh, it was made from a shell that was dredged up from the uh, Arabian Sea, Red Sea, and uh, it was very costly to produce. But anyway, that's kind of what was going on there. But it's interesting that the context of this command lands where it does. Because there's all these laws that are being uh, laid out um, in this passage in the, in the uh, uh, begin, all, all the way through chapter 15. Uh, there's laws about sacrifices and laws about unintentional sins. And then at the end of that, uh, right before this passage, there is uh, an account of a Sabbath breaker who is stoned to death. He was gathering sticks on the Sabbath day and was uh, put to death because he broke the law, then you have this pronouncement by the Lord to Moses and the people. And then immediately following that, you have the account of the rebellion of Korah and his people against Moses and Aaron. So you think about, well, why did the Lord just stick this in here? Uh, this, this, this curious little command about something there to wear to remind them about who their God is. Well, if you look at the, even the larger context of this, uh, this is all smack dab in the middle of a lot of rebellion. And the Lord is saying, you need to be reminded who God really is, who, who your master really is. You need to be set apart unto him and not trying to figure out for yourselves what you're going to do and what is right and what is wrong. And who's going to lead you and all of that is in the, in the rebellion of the Korah there. Right in the middle of this is a reminder that is based upon uh, God's deliverance. The emphasis upon the law cannot be missed here. <clears throat> what you have is holiness is defined by being obedient to the law of God by not following your own thoughts, by not following the imagination of your hearts, but by paying attention to, as it says here, looking, for, looking at and remembering all the commandments of the Lord in order to do them. That is what is defined, that is what, how holiness is defined in this passage, because this is indeed uh, to remember and do all of them and be holy to your God. So the, the, this little visible reminder 
of the requirement of being holy, of being rightly related to heaven, being concerned with the eternal demands of heaven. That really does seem to be the purpose here. And, and this was an ongoing uh, ordinance for God's covenant people. They were to wear these tassels to, for, for their own reminders, as well as to remind those around them of the necessity of being holy. Well, what about us? Should we all go out and purchase a shawl? Uh, well, the book of Acts reminds us that the requirements of the law in terms of the actual ordinances that were required of the nation of Israel are not required uh, of us, those things being fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. However, the principle of the pursuit of holiness in our lives is repeated again and again throughout the scriptures. And in this, there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. So how do we remind ourselves and, re and encourage others to be holy? What kind of tassels do we need to be wearing to remind us that our Lord commands us to be holy? As we move on into the new year, we're going to be continuing our study in the life of David. Uh, at the rate that that's going, it could be on into 2025 before we finish that. But along the way, we're still going to be looking at other things that come up and that are of, of, of interest, I hope, and encouragement to walking um, fully in the Lord's presence and joy and holiness. And this aspect of holiness is one that I'm going to be endeavoring to weave in with everything that we do through the coming year. As we, we look at the world around us and the pressures, as you know, are immense for us to compromise with the world, to be uh, accommodating to wickedness wherever we can find, just so that, you know, for the sake of uh, of, frankly, a false peace, but that's what it's, you know, that's how it's, uh, that's how it's promoted. If we want to be at peace with everybody. Well, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. You, you can't have true peace unless you are truly one with whoever it is you're trying to have peace with. And it starts with the Lord. And unless, if we want to have peace with him, then we have to walk according to his ways. But we need reminders of that because we are constantly barraged with temptations to go a different direction. So I was thinking about tassels, and of course uh, it's a shawl, so there'd be four corners, so I'm thinking of four tassels. Um, I'm going to be flying through a lot of scripture today. If you can manage to turn to every one of them, uh, you are, I commend you, but uh, you may, you may, uh, find it even uh, a little more profitable not to try to turn to everything unless I suggest it. Because uh, I have them all written down. I'm ready to go. So um, we're, going to, we're going to move through these and look at different aspects of holiness in our lives that serve as a reminder to us and encouragement to others to walk in a right uh, uh, manner before our Lord and Savior. So let's think about uh, what I'm calling blue tassel number one. Seat seat number one. By the way, if anybody wants to spell that, it's T-Z-I-T-I-T. -I -T -I -T. Seat seat. 
Oh, I forgot the, there's two Z's, T-Z-I-T, Z-I-T. Um, all right, so first tassel. Be holy in speech. Now, I'm, you might think I'm being a little arbitrary in this, but I am not. Because remember, our holiness is to be in accord with the commandments of God, to look at them and remember them. And when you start looking at the commandments of God, it suggests these, these uh, tassels that I'm mentioning to you. So if you think of, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That speaks to the words of your tongue, the words of your mouth. You shall not lie, you shall not bear false witness. It speaks to the use of our tongue. Being holy in speech is in accord with the commandments of God. So let's look at some, some characteristics of holy speech. First of all, holy speech is conscious of the Lord's presence. Now, this should not be a strange concept to us at all, right? Do you ever guard what you say depending upon who is standing around? Yeah. And how often do we open our mouths and spew without thinking of the one who is ever present, ever watchful, and to whom we're accountable? That's why David prayed in Psalm 19:14, actually a verse that we're going to refer to several times this morning. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Yahweh, my strength and my redeemer. That should be the prayer of each of us. And this should be a, a, a hit the pause button before we're tempted to open our mouths and start talking. To remember, it's not just the person in front of us that we're talking to, but we're in the presence of the most holy God. Be conscious of the Lord's presence and your speech will be more holy. It will be obedient to him. Holy speech is also honest. Psalm 34, 13, we are commanded, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. One of dozens of verses I could have quoted here. Be honest in your speech. Always tell the truth. You're in the presence of a holy God. And you want to show honor, not only to him, but to those to whom you're speaking. Be honest. You know what the foundation of a lie, every lie is. Foundation of every lie is that you want to be God. And here's why I say that. Why do we tell a lie? It's because we don't like the reality that we're in and we want to change it. Now sometimes the reality that we're in is a mess because we made it a mess. In fact, often that's the case. And usually it is when we're telling a lie and we're trying to cover for ourselves. But when you tell a lie, when you're dishonest, you're really saying, I want to be God and I want to remake this. I don't like God's reality. I want mine. Holy speech is honest speech. Holy speech is also wise speech. Psalm 37 and verse 30 says, The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom and his tongue Talks of justice, which shows the connection between wisdom and justice. Of being wisdom is not just about being um, uh, cute and clever and logical, though uh, 
the logical part certainly would bear uh, would bear witness uh, would bear upholding as a as an understanding there. It also has the idea of knowing what to say, when to say it, having the right words, being able to speak to a situation in a way that uh, encourages, that helps, that uh, helps someone avoid a problem or get out of a problem. It's taking knowledge and rightly applying it. And of course, justice is, is uh, there's a lot of that injustice as well when you try to uh, apply truth to situations of conflict, disagreement, or error. Uh, Proverbs 10, 21 uh, says it a little differently uh, in a bit more of a, of a uh, poetic fashion. The lips of the righteous feed many, Solomon says, but fools die for lack of sense. Uh, this sort of brings to mind what Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, right, that uh, uh, we really, uh, I just lost my train of thought. Sorry, a little foggy today. And so pray for me on that. Um, you know what, I'm just going to move on and not try to quote Paul there because all of a sudden I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I can just dwell on Proverbs 10. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. If you're speaking wisdom, you're an encouragement to others. You're not uh, just spouting, ah, I remember what it was from Paul. Uh, <laughs> childishness. Putting, when, you, when you become a man, you put away childish things. There's a time and a place for humor and levity and being ridiculous sometimes and just having some fun that way. But uh, there's also a time for speaking uh, clearly and forcefully and and sensibly to those who need it. Uh, fools, those who deny God, those who don't want anything to do with his wisdom, um, perish in their ignorance. They die for lack of sense. Holy speech is wise. It's, it's God, it reflects the wisdom of God. Holy speech is also kind. Proverbs 12, 18 the tongue of the wise brings healing, carrying on from, from wisdom. Sometimes we think that wisdom and truth are to be used as clubs to browbeat people into submission. There is a time and a place for confronting people with truth, absolutely. And where correction is needed, yes. But kindness is here. The reason that there's, there's the, the ignorance and the problems and the errors you can look at those things as evidences of, 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 of dead hearts or, or hearts that are, I'm going to follow the imagery is here, diseased because of sin. The holy tongue brings healing. It doesn't make the wounds worse. If the wounds get worse, it's only because the individual don't want to hear it and they go off and won't listen to the balm that you are striving to apply. But even when there's error, unless you're talking to somebody like the Pharisees and so on when Jesus didn't cut them any slack. But to those that are caught in error, those that are caught in ignorance, caught in confusion, Jesus showed tenderness and kindness 
and brought healing. There's a reason he's called the great physician. Holy speech is of that kind, being kind to one another. As Paul does say in Ephesians chapter 4, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Walk before others with the same kind of compassion and tenderness and patience that the Lord demonstrates to you. Holy speech is kind. And holy speech is also under control. In the book of James, James talks quite a bit about the tongue, as most of you, I'm sure, are familiar. In James 1, verse 26, he says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless, James says. And he would go on later on in his epistle, chapter 3, to talk about the danger of the tongue, that it's a fire, it sets the world on fire, that no one can tame it. If we're going to walk as holy people before God, reminding each other of God's holiness and of, and of our need to walk in holiness before him, both for our own selves and for others, our speech to one another ought to demonstrate these characteristics. And in this particular case, to be under control. Uh, I'm sure, like me, um, there are many in this room that, could, if, that can uh, have thoughts springing to mind even at the moment of times when you've opened your mouth and said something before you thought it through. And you know, once those words fly out, you can't suck them back in. Speech, a little speech theory here. Communication theory. Speech is always additive. Never subtracts. So be under, guard your tongue. Be in control. Think before you speak. And then, hopefully, we'll live up to the biblical, uh, the biblical goal of a word that is fitly spoken is like apples of silver and settings of gold. Finally, holy speech is full of praise. Psalm 35, 28, Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and your praise all the day long. And of course, many, many, many other passages could have been cited here. But if we are going to be holy people in our speech, our uh, our Communication ought to be elevating God at every opportunity that we have. Many years ago, as I was growing up in high school, I had a wonderful, wonderful uh, pastor that had the privilege of sitting under his ministry for a number of years. Um, his name was Harold Anderson. And he was, he was a country boy, Swedish farmer stock. Um, but I'll tell you what, everywhere, it, if you cut him, he bled scripture. Every prayer, every conversation, didn't matter what it was, whether it was something elevated uh, in, in terms of the scriptures or theology or something else, or if he was just <laughs> talking about the everyday things of life. He oozed scripture from every pore. And 
and those those oozings were filled with praise um, and always striving to exalt the Lord. We ought to have that type of characteristic be true of us. Of course, that won't happen if you don't spend a lot of time in the Word. So there's a corollary there. Spend time in the Word, fill your mind with it, and let your speech show that forth. It is holy speech. That's So that's our first tassel, being holy in speech. The second one is related to it. Our Lord Jesus had a lot to say about what defiles a person. Do you remember what he said? In Luke 6, 45, we read this. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So while we can do our best to work on that blue tassel of speech, if we don't have the thoughts engaged here, it's a hopeless endeavor. Sooner we're going we're gonna to blow it all the time. It's only going to be a surface uh, amendment to our behavior. We cannot neglect the source of those words. And that's our thoughts. To be holy, our minds must be completely set apart unto our Lord. So the second blue tassel, be holy in thought. Well, what does that look like? Well, just as speech was to be conscious of the presence of God, holy thoughts are likewise aware of accountability to God. Again, Psalm 19.14. We talked about let the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, but it's also let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Yahweh, my strength and my Redeemer. To be aware that God, we'll have to answer to the Lord for not just what we say, but how we are thinking. Whether it's, whether it's serious thoughts that we're engaged in or daydreaming or whatever it is, those thoughts are all accountable to a holy God. And when we walk with that awareness, it will change the way that we think as well as the way we speak. Holy, holy thoughts are filled with God's word. We've already suggested that when it comes to our speech. But again, what flows out of the heart is what's going to show up on the tongue. So our thoughts have to be filled with God's word. Joshua 1.8, Joshua declares, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Many other passages, such as Psalm 1, verse 2, where the, the man is blessed who meditates upon God's law day and night. And just all of Psalm 119, of taking God's word in and recognizing its power, its authority, its teachings, and making those the pattern of not just behavior, but also the way that we think about God and his world and about everybody else in accord with his word. So let your thoughts be filled with the word of God. Uh, 
If you are not regularly in God's word on a daily basis, you need to ask yourself why. Because there's no excuse. If you have trouble reading, get it on audio. But get it in your heart and mind. Both you as an individual and in your families. Let that be a hallmark of, of if that needs to be a change, let this be the year that you change and make this a habit, that you are in God's word all the time, every day, filling your heart and mind with what he has to say. It will change your life if you do that. It will show honor to him, or truly, if we love someone, we tend to want to hear what they have to say. So let that sink in, please. Let our hearts and minds be filled with the word of God. Holy thoughts are also filled, not just with the, the teachings of it, the, you know, the history that's there, the various stories and all of that, which is uh, you know, teaching principles and all of that, that's great, but it can become very academic. Perhaps you've had daily reading programs where you've, you, know, you go through and you read your, okay, you read your chapter for today, and okay, great, read my chapter, that's great, and then you go off and do the rest of your day without really thinking about it without really making application of those principles to the activities of your life. One of the things that can help you change it from becoming just a, an academic exercise is to remember that you are not just reading some stale book that somebody invented. These are the words of a holy, living, personal God. And your desire is not just to read those words, but to know His ways to rejoice in his works, to, to think of him in a much more full, three-dimensional perspective. Just like we do with people. We just came through a season, and I still have a few trickling in in the mail, probably you do too, of Christmas cards. And Christmas cards are great. But they're rather two-dimensional, even if you have some nice... Very nice sentiments that are thoughtful there. You know what makes those Christmas cards meaningful? Do I have to tell you? It's the people who sent them, isn't it? It's knowing them. Knowing the heart that, that prompted those words that makes those cards significant. Same way with God's word. Holy thoughts are filled with God's ways and works. When the psalmist in Psalm 145, great psalm of praise there, he doesn't just think about the history, though he does do that. He doesn't just think about theology proper as an academic exercise. In Psalm 145, uh, he says, I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. To think about God as more than a theological construct, but a, a, a living being to whom we must answer and with whom we commune will change the way that you approach your Bible reading and will help you walk in holiness before Him. Because you're, it, it's, easy to, it's easy to read this, close it, put it down, and walk away. But if you're aware that it's his ways and his works and his person that you're dealing with, not so easy. Even when you close the book, 
it's still, you're conscious of the fact that you're in his presence and you're thinking of the way that he does things and how he has worked in the past and how you anticipate he will work in the future. And you are filled with praise and filled with rejoicing in him and you'll be much less tempted to let your mouth spew forth wickedness or even just the mundane stuff that maybe is neither here nor there as far as morality is concerned, but once you take it out from the context of being with God, then it's kind of worthless conversation. So be holy by being in your thoughts, by filling your thoughts with God's ways and works. Holy thoughts are also submissive to God. Romans 1.21, a contrasting passage. For although they knew God, speaking of the lost of the world, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Why? Because they wanted to be their own gods. They wanted to establish their own sense of righteousness. They took the things that God said were good and called them evil. The things that were evil, they called good. They erected uh, gods uh, of their own imagination from the created uh, things and said that these were gods and they uh, even turned every uh, ounce of decency and morality upside down, turning it all uh, up, uh, around for their own pleasure simply because they, the wicked, want to be their own God. They were not submissive to the God of heaven. Again, by contrast, Psalm 19.14, of walking with the desire that every thought, every word, every action is, must be acceptable in the sight of God and to walk with that kind of submission before your most holy creator is what it, it, we are called upon to do as holy people. Holy thoughts are also filled with virtue. Uh, many here, I'm sure, know Paul's words in Philippians 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue or if there is any praise, think on these things. Or the word is actually meditate on these things, not just giving it a casual thought, but really studying what it is to be holy and right and virtuous before God. Proverbs 12 uh, and verse 5, you have a similar thought there of the thoughts of the righteous are just. Holy thoughts, as you might imagine, because they are not in rebellion against God, because they are walking in accord with his word, um, because they are seeking uh, kindness and, um, and benefit to others. Holy thoughts are filled with peace. If you're in constant agitation and not at peace with anything, Yes, there may be external reasons for that happening, external forces coming upon you. But the fault really lies in the fact that your thoughts are really not under control of the Most Holy God. Um, uh, and you may have heard this illustration before uh, in counseling situations or whatever, but I really like this idea. You know, if you take a sponge and you squeeze it, and ink comes out of it, 
and it gets all over you and all over your hand and all over everything, you can be really irritated about all, all this ink. Right? You can blame, uh, you know, whoever squeezed it on you. Oh, they squeezed it, yeah. Well, here's the problem. If there wasn't any ink in there to begin with, you wouldn't have had to worry about the pressure, would you? Pressure just shows what's actually inside of us. If our thoughts are agitated, it's because of sin somewhere. We can yell at the person who's the person who's irritating us and, ca and causing us to sin. But the fact is, they don't cause us to sin. We cause us to sin. In the providence of God, that person who made your life difficult uh, is being used of God to maybe help you see the sin that is actually in you. So be less frustrated with the pressures and be more aware of our own sins that are there because holy thoughts are filled with peace. Psalm 4.4, David says, in your anger, or the word is, uh, could be also uh, uh, agitation, not necessarily anger. Um, <laughs> the word actually has the connotation of, of uh, not flapping your arms, but, but this kind of thing with your hands. You ever been in a situation where you just want to, ah! right? Okay, that's, that's the meaning of that word. In your anger, in your agitation, do not sin. When you're in your beds, search your hearts, your hearts, and be silent. Let's examine ourselves whether we're in the faith and examine ourselves whether we're really walking in a holy manner before our God. Let your thoughts be filled with peace when you're resting on him. Let's, and, and in fact, we have that, that idea, don't we, elsewhere, that our hearts and minds can be filled with a peace that passes all understanding when we're fixed upon the Lord Jesus. Holy thoughts are filled with peace. And finally, holy thoughts are filled with love for others. Romans 12 and verse 10, Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Now, uh, there's a, if, if you've traveled around the country much, you know, there are, there are character there are caricatures of people that live in different parts of the country and i won't say which parts of the country out of deference to some of the people here in the room <laughs> you just take it where you want but there are some parts of the country where they're they're known for being uh, brutal and blunt and just in your face and so on and yet uh, they they do tend to um, walk in kindness towards one another. They just don't sound like it very much. And then there are other, there's other places in the country where they're all sweetness and light, and I will not go into any accents, uh, but they will say certain things to your face while they're, this is the caricature, that they're stabbing you in the back. 
regardless of what part of the country you come from and whether you want to claim that it's just the way it is because after all, that's, that's where your roots are. To be kindly affectionate to one another. In honor, giving preference to one another. Has to be more than lip service. It has to spring out of thoughts that genuinely and, and, and generously want to give of yourself for the benefit of someone else, want to encourage others, want to edify others, want to hold them up in the midst of their trials and to rejoice with them in their, in their rejoicings. That, you can only put it on, you can, put, you can, you can paint the pig of, of, uh, of distrust and anger and frustration and accusation and all of that. But after a while, the paint will wear off. I know I'm blending all kinds of metaphors here. But I hope you get my my thinking. Holy thoughts. Not just words. Not just actions. Uh, Not just words, but actions. Count. So we've covered... Two tassels so far. While man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. Right? So ask yourself, as we wrap up this morning, how holy are your thoughts? Are the threads of your tassels reflecting the right of heaven to rule in your life? Or have you mixed in other colors because you've decided it's prettier? Adding in your own concept of what it means to be right before God. No, the single blue tassel, single blue thread is enough. Let that thread remind you to be holy in your speech and to be holy in your thoughts. And let those thoughts Draw your soul heavenward and guide your actions to encourage others to do the same. Now, I'll be away next Sunday. Um, Appreciate your prayers as I head back to Michigan to uh, do some teaching at Puritan uh, Reformed Theological Seminary. And um, I will be back on, I'll be in in the building on the 14th physically. Mentally, I'm not so sure what that's going to be like. So I, I won't be preaching on the 14th either. But uh, when I get back in the pulpit, it'll be the 21st. We'll pick up with the other two tassels. And uh, you can... It's not rocket science. You'd look at the notes I gave you. You'd be able to figure out what the other two are. But we'll, uh, we'll uh, take a look at those more closely when I return, uh, God willing. For now, though, let us... Think about speech and thought. That's enough for right now. It's a tall order. May God grant us to bring these things into submission to him so that we may walk holy in his presence. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your mercies, which are new every morning. We're so thankful they're new because, Lord, daily in speech and thought, we offend you and offend others and bring judgment 
or at least the reason for judgment upon ourselves. We thank you for your grace to us, your mercy, that you do not uh, treat us in the way that we truly deserve, but that for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have declared us to be holy and therefore have a position of favor and joy with you. Lord, let our speech and our thought reflect that position rightly. And we would say with King David, let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Redeemer.